It's so good to be in the house. Who's excited? Yeah, I just love Sundays anyway. It means it's the weekend. It means it's the weekend. I had to smile when, when Nat was um, up doing the announcements before because I looked at her shoes and I realized they're my daughter's shoes. And she's only 10. So it kinda, it's kind of funny at the same time as it's scary that it's like our oldest daughter is almost taller than my wife. So it's, it's funny, you go around your house and you kind of just see someone of that height out the corner of your eye and I naturally just think it's Nat. So I go to talk to her about something, it's like, oh, that's Eva. So, yeah, I've got to be careful about what I say when I just <laughs> see her. Yes, um, now it's exciting that uh, Pastor Adam and Anita are up in Auckland, 50 years celebrating a 50-year-old um, church. I just think about Tarwa Church, where you celebrated 50 years ago last year. And, um, and it just reminds me of all the, the hundreds and thousands of prayers that would have gone to, to create a church and the fellowship and the lives that were saved and and the baptisms, and, and just those moments of healing miracles and of what happens in the life of a church over 50 years. And, and it's really cool. There's a, I think there's a bunch of churches this year and in the coming years that are through, right throughout New Life that are coming of 50 years, and it's, it's pretty cool. So, um, But yeah, it makes you reflect on a lot of stuff. I'm just going to get straight into my message this morning, and I want to start with John 3.16. John 3.16, pretty solid, nice message. It says here, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is probably one of those scriptures that is so well known. It's probably one of the most famous scriptures. I think all our kids could recite that. It's one of the first verses of the Bible that they would recite, John 3, 16. And, And I love what it says about whoever believes in him. Whoever, that's anybody, everyone, it's an invitation to all of us that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We can get encouragement from that of the invitation that God's given us through the scripture, but what does it actually mean to believe? What does that actually mean? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I don't want to talk about belief because there's so many things in the the realm of belief that we could delve into and I don't want to do that today, but I want to talk about one specific part of, of what we believe today, and because truth be known, lots of people believe lots of different stuff, right? You probably, you probably, you know someone who believes that the, the people land, you know, that the moon landing was fake. People believe that the moon landing was fake for whatever reason. There'll be other people that believe that the world is flat. What flat earth is there? Anyone? No, no, don't put your hand up. You do your thing if that's cool. But, but I've heard very passionate arguments and debates about people who believe that there's a flat earth, and they, they, they're adamant. They believe that, and you do what you've got to do. <laughs> and some people believe in aliens, and that's pretty topical at the moment of what's happened in the States, and the evidence of this UFOs flying around and unidentified flying objects and things like that, and some people believe in extraterrestrial life. I grew up, and I remember lots of things that I was told that, some of it you kind of listen to now and you look back and go, man, that was that's a bit of rubbish, you know. I don't believe in that. But other, other bits of pieces of information that we got told, you know, we, we got told and heard them often enough and we might even recite them to our kids without even thinking it. And uh, I'm sure you'll know some of those things that I'm talking about. It's like, I grew up thinking that the human brain, you know, we only use 10% of our brains. I just assumed that 90% of my brain was on holiday, you know. <laughs> But it's not true. Your whole brain has been used, but it, we use probably 10% of our capability of our brain. 
Another one was goldfish have a three-second memory. Who's heard that one? Scientifically not true. They have a memory span of months, and they, rem- they can even remember how to do small tasks, which blows my way. So, it's, so when, when you leave their friend, and it's, he's dead, and he's floating around the top of the bowl, and the other one's watching him, he remembers that for months. He'll remember that for months. So you look after your goldfish, people. Cracking knuckles causes arthritis. There's no scientific evidence for this. I know, but, but the thing is that it sounds horrible. You should just stop doing it anyway. That, that's reason in itself of it's enough. I got um, I heard this. It wasn't implemented too heavily in my house growing up, but eating carrots improves eyesight. Who's heard that one? I just want to say that's an absolute lie. You know, you need to stop telling your kids that that because carrots, you know, hot carrots, it's just gross anyway. And then if, and then mixed with parsnip. Who's done the mashed parsnip? I'm still traumatized with that. Like if I smell it. It takes me back to, you know, dry reaching at the table when I was 10. It's an absolute lie. Don't, don't spread that one. So one of my belief pillars of, of got rocked when I, when I read this one is the, the Great Wall of China is visible from space. Not true. Not true. It's ve- it's, it can be seen, but you need a telescope to see it. It's very hard to see. It's, there was a Chinese astronaut that went up and he said, I, I can't even see it. And they were thinking about rewriting the books, but there was just too many of them that actually had this as a truth in there. You actually have to kind of be pointed to where it is and then go, I guess that's the wall. (laughs) Swimming straight after eating is dangerous. That was a big one. I used to love going to my nana and granddad's place for for lunch uh, in the summers, and they'd always have saveloys. We never had saveloys at our place, but... Um, maybe mum didn't like them, but Savaloid, you know, it was just a, just a great experience. I always remember Savaloids at Nana and Granddad's. But if you had a Savaloid for lunch, you knew that it was going to be two hours before you get in the pool. They enforced that with an iron rod. You could not jump in the pool for two hours after lunch. So we'd say, I don't want anything to eat. I just want to get in the pool. I just want to get in the pool. And the last one I wanted to touch on was that it takes seven years to digest gum. Simi, I know I'm rocking your world this morning. It's not often you do a message and, and you can proclaim that you're going to be rocked. But, uh, but anyway, this is, it's um, seven years to, to digest gum. And I used this literally two weeks ago. I was up in Hokianga on a, on a marae and we were traveling in the car and I ate some chewing gum. And, um, and I was chewing it. And then as we entered the marae and, in, the, in the building and, and um, my sister was like, what are you doing? I was like, what? And she was like, you're chewing gum. So I was like, okay. So I went to take it out to find a bin. She said, there's no bins in here. So you can't chew it. She's like, you need to swallow it. And I was like, you can't swallow it. It'll take seven years to digest. So I hid it under my tongue. But it's not true. It'll digest like every other food. It'll, it'll pass through like every other food. I wouldn't suggest you eat packets of it. But it doesn't take seven years to digest. But the truth is people will believe in all sorts of stuff, right? People believe in all sorts of stuff. But what does it mean to believe in God? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I like how the Amplified puts it. The Amplified version expands a little bit. He says, it says, For God so loved the world, so greatly loved the world, and dearly prized the world, that he even gave his one and only begotten Son, so that whoever believes and trusts in him as what? as Savior, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes and trusts in him as Savior 
shall not perish but have eternal life. And we've all heard Pastor Adam say it often, and it's so true, that believing is not just a head knowledge information, but a heart knowledge transformation. It's this knowledge of, of understanding and believing who God is, but then having it become part of our hearts that it would change the way we live, change the way we love. It wouldn't just be something we understood, but it would change the life and the very being of all we are. And in James 2 verse 19, it says, you say, you say that you, um, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. We would do that here. We say, yeah, we, we have faith and believe that there is one God. And he says, good for you. And it's like, yeah, good for us. But he's being, he's being sarcastic here, I believe, because he's saying, good for you, because even demons believe and they tremble in terror. And because what's he saying? He's saying, we see from this passage that even the devil, even, even Satan believes in God. We know that. He's very aware of, of God, but he's got a mental ascent of, of a bunch of facts that he knows about him. He understands God to be this, who he is, and all his capabilities. And the Bible contains many scriptures of this that gives evidence that demons not only know who God is, but they acknowledge him as the one true God of heaven and earth. And we see that in Mark 1.24 where it says, I know who you are. Demons address Jesus by saying, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. They know who He is. But the difference here is that the devil doesn't put his hope in God. He doesn't put his trust in God. He doesn't rely on Him, nor does he call Him his Lord and Savior. It's based on a bunch of what he knows and believes about who God is. But we can do the same when we can believe and not trust in the Lord. We just know about Him, but it has no bearing on our lives so what does it mean to trust in him trust in God and and when it comes to trusting in God that that means that we're relying on his reliability his word his his abilities his strengths the Bible says he cannot lie and that he will keep his promises that we can actually trust in exactly what he says and who he says he is and I feel as I was preparing this message today and um that just highlight that it's, it's not a problem with believing. It's not a problem we have with believing. And I'm not saying everyone's got a problem, but I, I can talk to myself on this. It's, like, it's not a matter of believing it, but it's a matter of trust. Everyone say, it's a matter of trust. Matter of trust. Okay, now say it like you actually mean it's a matter. Yeah, it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on the, your understanding, your, just a, a mere belief, but there's got to be a trust component that would say, God, I trust in you. And in all ways, acknowledge him, it says. In all ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We're going to remember what we acknowledge will direct our paths. If we acknowledge God, if we put our trust in God, in all, with all our hearts, not just, a, with, not just with an understanding of who he is, but live our lives and acknowledge him in all our ways, he will, he will make our paths straight. He will take the bumps out of the road. He's not saying there won't be bumps in our lives, but he will make our paths straight. But then the opposite is true too. If we, if we acknowledge things of the world, the world will direct our paths. It will take us somewhere completely different 
than we God has planned for us. To trust in God with our lives goes beyond just believing with a head knowledge of information, but a, a heart transformation that changes us and allows us to trust fully in God. And I've just got two points today I want to talk on and, and, and share with you this morning and things that I hope that you'll find helpful. Things that I've found helpful with strengthening my trust in God. So I just pray that you would too feel encouraged and strengthened in this. And I, th- I know there'll be people in this room that will be on the different ends of the spectrum of this, of, of people maybe you're sitting here and going, I don't know if I even trust God at all. I don't even know this God. And that's okay. I hope you learn something too and are challenged and God stirs your heart to put your trust in Him. But I know there'll be people here that have been walked with the Lord for many years. And you'll be like, no, I trust in the Lord. And I think that's good. But I don't think there's ever, we never arrive at our destination here on earth no matter where we've, what we've done, that to say, says that God isn't working and wants us to keep growing and spiritually maturing, right? So I hope, too, that you would take something out of this as well. So my first point out of the two would just be surrender. Surrender. God, uh, trust in God begins with surrendering control. I don't know, for those of you with kids, I don't know if you've ever looked at them and thought, man, they just live such a carefree life. Yeah, they're just so carefree. They don't seem to worry about anything, and most of the time they don't have a cure in the world. And, and I just love that about kids. And I look at my oldest daughter, Eva. She's 10 now, and those are her shoes that Nat's wearing. But she doesn't have a lot of stress in her life. I think the most stressful thing for her would be trying to find her socks. She's got 1,500 pairs of socks, and none of them are in her drawer. She's got a unique ability to have store her socks everywhere in the house they're under the couch they're in the car they'll be outside they'll be on the tram they'll be on the tv remote and so every time we every time we go anywhere it's a oh my goodness i don't have any socks mum. and it's just like don't worry look in any room you'll find some (laughs) she's got an amazing ability to lose socks she even we went to football the other day and she gets in the car we drive off and she's like i forgot my socks and i was like okay here we go so she goes back, gets her socks, and then she gets back in and starts laughing. She's like, oh, they're in my pocket. She even carries spare socks on her everywhere she goes without even knowing it. But why are, why are children's life, why are kids' life so um, worry-free? It's because they absolutely trust in us to provide everything they need. They're like, don't worry, Dad will get it. It's like, oh, we need that. You know, don't worry, they'll get it. They just assume everything's going to be done and provided for them. And Matthew 18.3 says and speaks about our need to be like children, that to become like children in the way that we put our faith and trust in God. We're not talking about being a, a child or being immature in our faith, but becoming childlike, having the same attitude that we, we assume and expect that God can do and will do everything he says he will do for us. And surrendering our lives to God acknowledges this. It acknowledges that there are aspects of our life that go beyond our understanding, that go beyond our control, but we choose to put our trust in them anyway, in Him anyway. It's surrendering our control in our lives. Trust is being able to surrender the areas of our lives that hold that we hold as security. Everyone, surely, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm just going to take a risk. I don't want anyone to elbow someone or point or look to anyone on their left and right, but everyone knows a control freak in their life, right? 
you know, there's people that just have everything in a nice, tidy box, and they just control everything. And they do it from a point of, of being efficient, because controlling everything can be very efficient. It's not a very nice place to live, but it can be very efficient in things getting done. But to be true, to be honest, it's the, I don't think there's anyone alive who doesn't like that feeling of control. To making you feel like your life's in control, the things around you are controlled, so you've got some predictability in that. But I love what it says in Romans 8.28, and it says, and we know. So if you didn't know Romans 8.28, now you know, because we're going to talk about it. And we know, it says, that for those who love God, for those who love God, who have their trust in God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say all the things in our life will be good. But he's saying he's going to work all things together for the good of those who love him. So when, we, when things don't work out as they're expected, that's where it goes from belief to trust, that it transforms our hearts and our lives, that, that when things, the diagnosis is not what you expected. The, the, your job that, that you held security on is not what you expected. All these things, but we, we actually need to, if we don't have trust in God, we just suddenly feel like our lives are completely out of control. But we need to trust in God's word that he's working all things together for good, whether it looks like it or not. That's what trust is. Because we don't need to worry about anything because God is already in control. We don't just have to pray when things get out of control that he will put things in control. He's already in control. That's what we believe. Because I sometimes trust God absolutely completely with my salvation. You know, I, I've, I've prayed the prayer, asked Christ into my life. I don't doubt that, that, he say, that I'm saved, that I'm now in his righteousness and, and he, him and me and I'm in him. And there, there's nothing that I don't trust him about that for. But there's other areas of my life that I sometimes hold on to that I'd, I'd, I try to control because I struggle with, with trusting him with my daily needs and my daily desires and the things that I believe he's put on my heart, I try to strive for them. Does anyone sometimes get caught up in that too? The Bible tells us, Scripture tells us that, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When we seek God first, when we trust him and what he says and who he is and his great and merciful love for us, and his righteousness, and his right standing, that we can be in his presence, all these other things will be added unto us. The second point I want to touch on too is don't forget. Everyone say, don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. It always amazes me how fast we forget things. I'm, I'm one of those people who... I feel like I've just got so much information, sometimes I just forget everything. So you try to remember everything and you remember nothing. But um, and one, of those, one of those classic ones is when I go grocery shopping. I, I really can't stand grocery shopping. Like it does my head in and I, I, I loathe it, to be honest. And, um, but one time I got the un, unwanted privilege of going grocery shopping. Does anyone remember back in the COVID days when we got locked up? You know, years ago, years ago now. But we, 
when that happened, Nat was like, oh, can you go grocery shopping? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. So uh, I went grocery shopping because it was the, probably the most exciting thing we were doing in lockdown at that time. And so she gave me a list of like 1,500 things. It felt like 1,500 things. I said, you need to write them down. You need to message me because I'm not taking a scroll of paper in there with me. Get, write them down and I can, I can go through and grab that stuff. Two hours later and $500 later, uh, I come home with half the stuff that we don't need and quarter of the stuff that we've already got. But I was, I was happy we got quarter of the stuff we actually did need. So I tell you that's a success. But I think I walked about 15 kilometers in there that, over those two hours because I didn't know where anything was. You don't know where it is. And, and, and Nat had kindly sort of not put anything in order as well. So I'm, I'm getting the bread, then going over to the meat, and then back to the nuts. And so I'm like, I've got no idea where anything is. So, so I'm no longer trusted to do big shops, which I'm happy about. I'm happy about. I didn't do it intentionally. I tried to do a good job, but I don't get that anymore. But she will trust me from time to time with a couple of items. Like two or three, it's like, babe, can you get something on the way home? And so I get a couple of things, but I'm kind of one of those like happy shoppers. It's like, man, it's like those grocery grabs. It's like, if I can carry it, I'm going to get it. So there might be two or three things. Again, not in order. I don't know where they are, so I've got to ask every time. And, and so I'm so busy trying to work out what I need. I'm um, getting the specials and getting the stuff that Nat doesn't normally buy. So, so, it's like, so I normally always come back. And Nat goes, you can never go to the supermarket and just get what I've asked you to do. It's like, no, because I, I get more. But it's not just the little insignificant things in our lives that are hard to remember. I was up in Hokianga the, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I went back to my great auntie's place up there, and I went with my dad and my sisters, and, and, um, and we were just learning about our past, and, and it was our ancestors landed in New Zealand, and, and Frederick Manning was an ancestor of mine, and he, um, he landed and up there and, and became quite friendly with the local iwi, the Ngāpui tribe, and and, um, and so we we're just learning about how that all worked and where we come from. And he was actually New Zealand's first land judge and, and fought hard for the, for the Māori people up there to, to be fairly treated with land, with the land deals. And he was actually very good friends with the Ngāpui chief at the time. And he ended up marrying his sister. And so that's our lineage, six generations ago back to the Ngāpui chief. So it was really amazing to hear about the, the achievements and the conquests and the and the life of how that all happened and, and the very place that it happened. And what was really interesting is that James Clendon, who's uh, who Pastor Adam spoke about, he's a relative and ancestor of his, were actually in the same place at the same time. They got streets in, um, they got streets named after themselves. There's, um, yeah, Manning Street and Clendon Street. And uh, in the same place, they would have been at the treaty at the same time as it was signed. So pretty cool. You know, just a, just a side note. But it was it was amazing when I was thinking that and learning that on the marae that um, it reminded me of the Israelites. I felt like God just reminded me of the Israelites, and this is what they were doing. They, they would celebrate all the feasts and, and festivals and reenact them in real life. Every, every year they would, they would reenact them. We had, we had Jews for Jesus come and do the Passover, if you remember that. And they'd go through this almost like a ritual, like, but they would, it'd be like a play that they would, they would act out. And they had the onion you'd bite and it'd bring tears to your eyes. So you had that emotional connection. So, it was a, it was a, so you wouldn't forget the story of, of God's faithfulness, his goodness, his protection, his mercy. And it'd go from generation to generation. Nothing was ever forgotten. 
But I was thinking how fast things we have forgotten from even a, a lineage side of things. When, when, when our parents die, if that doesn't get passed down, that, kind of, that history is gone. You, you can't get that back. But the Israelites, the people of Israel didn't do that. They recited. God said, remember these things. And First Chronicles 16, 8, 12 says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. And then it goes on to say, remember the wonders he has done, his miracles. Just like every time I go to the supermarket and Nat says, don't forget. I believe God's saying, don't forget. Don't forget what? He's saying, don't forget when he gave you strength to walk through that impossible situation where you didn't think you could make it, but yet he gave you strength. He's saying, don't forget that that time when you didn't know how you were going to make it through to your next paycheck, but yet he provided. He says, don't forget when you're at your lowest point and he lifted you back up onto your feet and blessed and loved you. He says, don't forget when your life was a broken mess like mine and, without, and living without meaning that, but then God came and gave, it, gave us acceptance, love and forgiveness and turned our lives around and gave us a life of meaning and purpose and a destiny to be fulfilled. What's your testimony of God's faithfulness in your life? What is it? Sometimes we actually need to write that down. Write it down so we don't forget it. Not so we can just use it when we need it, but we can live lives in gratitude for all God's done because we just forget. But his word says, do not forget. Psalm 103, 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The New Living Translation puts that same thing this way. It says, let all that I am praise the Lord. Exalt him, thank him, live a life of gratitude to him. Why? And then may I never forget the good things he has done for me. It's remembering our personal experiences of, of his presence, his guidance, his provision, his healing. That reminds us that we can always trust in God, that he's done it before and he can do it Again, he never lets us down. So I want to remind us again of, of what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge him. Remember him. Don't forget what he's done for us. And he shall direct your path. God is trustworthy for us to put our trust in him. Trusting as God is just surrendering all that we have to him and understanding and acknowledging him in all our ways. He is our source of everything. Pastor Adam spoke about that message on money a, a few weeks ago. Just the, just the biblical perspective that we need is, is that the possessions that we hold security in, it's, it's, it's all from him anyway. He provides, he's our source of life. He's the source of everything we have. Everything we have is a, is a blessing from him that we steward. And surrendering our will and taking up his will is us trusting in him. And I believe we're, we're not to forget. We're not to forget what? The faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. Let us not forget the good things he has done. And we trust that what he's done before he will continue to do through our families, through our lives, and through our children's children and generations to come. He is 
worthy of all our trust. And as I close, John 3.16, I just want to recap, close with this. For God so greatly and dearly prized the world that he even gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes and trusts in him as savior shall not perish but have eternal life. Where is your trust? Because I know for me there's areas that I find it really easy to trust in God. There's other areas that God keeps showing me as I meet him every morning. I've I've spoken to a few few people I know, and it's just like, a, man, I just feel like God's doing a real work in our lives. That when we when we actually say, "Lord, I surrender my life to you," we can say things like that and not quite actually understand what that even means. I remember when I said for the first time, maybe at the start of the year, I said, "Lord, I surrender everything," because I heard a, another great preacher do it, and I was like, oh, "I've never done that before. I'm going to start implementing that into my prayer life." and and after a few weeks, I really felt God say, do you even know what surrender really means? What is a life of surrender to me? And the more you pray about that, the more you realize there's areas of our lives that we don't even notice we're, we're holding on to. And God just says, would you give it to me? Would you trust in me? And I don't know where you are this morning. There might be people in here that don't even know God. But I want to give you an opportunity to put your trust in Him this morning. Would you all bow your heads for a moment? I want to invite you to accept the work of the cross that He died for you that you might live. And if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Christ. You haven't given your heart to Christ. I want to pray a prayer in a moment that just says this, that God, would you come and be king of my life? And if you know you need to be in that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up, not to embarrass you, just to acknowledge you, just say, Pastor, please include me in that prayer because I'd love to pray with you on that. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up now. If you know you need to give your, make yourself right with God. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. That's awesome. Hey, there's many choices in life, but eternity only has two. Would you put your trust in God today? Okay. Would you all pray with us as we pray for those three hands that went up? We're all going to pray this together. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I want to get right with you. Today, I accept your death on the cross as atonement for my sin. I do not want to do it myself anymore. And I commit my life to you. Be my Lord and my Savior. Help me to follow you for the rest of my days. Amen.
Amen. Let's put our hands together for those who received Jesus this morning. Would you all stand to your feet as I close in prayer? Father God, I thank you for that we can trust in you. Father God, that you are trustworthy in every area of our lives. Father God, I pray that you'd just shine your light on us, that we'd, we'd experience more of your love, Father God, that would just show more of who you are, Lord. The areas of our lives that we are holding on to, the, the dark little spaces around the edge of our lives, Lord, that we don't even know sometimes we're holding on to. And even the ones we intentionally hold on to. Father God, help us to release our grip on trying to control things in our lives. Father God, we surrender it to you. We say, have your way, Lord God. As we, we step into trusting in you, Father God, would you just pour out your love and your presence, your provision, your mercy on every single person in this room. Fill us afresh with your spirit, Lord God, that we go about our days seeking your kingdom first and your righteousness and trusting in you with the rest. We thank you, Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Well, that is the end of the service. If you need prayer for anything, we've got an amazing prayer team. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a coffee, enjoy the fellowship, and we'll see you next week. Bless you.